everybody. Get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway. And together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis on a great weekend here in D.C. Uh, Nikki, you want to start off with a little bit about Bethesda Movie Nights? Yeah, the Bethesda Urban Partnership. They're such a big supporter of what we do here at Foodie and the Beast and the list com, And they are doing movie nights. Uh, you just missed the last one because it's on Saturday night. But the next one is Friday, August 11th. They're showing such great movies. Great idea. Go to any of the terrific restaurants around Bethesda or in Bethesda Row get a little picnic together, bring it to the space for movie night, sit with the fam, watch the movie, have a good time. It's the perfect season for it. I want to remind everybody to follow me at Nikki Nellis, N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or X, whatever it's called these days, and threads, LinkedIn. And don't forget, uh, Industry Night is now on YouTube, so check us out there. All right, so let's talk about the show a little. Um, Washington is full of former attorneys, and Mm -hmm. we've got two here with us now. Uh, Our drink segment today features Mika and Ian Carlin. They're former attorneys. I said they met at uh, UVA Law, and they fell in love with Virginia wine. Who doesn't do that? So Mm -hmm. now they own uh, a restaurant called Irregardless. Which David has a lot of problems with. I got a lot of problems with you. Irregardless (laughs) is not a word. (laughs) But their wine selection highlights some of the best out of Virginia and others from the country. We're going to be hearing from them and tasting some of their wines. Mm -hmm. Uh, Chef Dima Martinuk of Ruda Ukrainian Restaurant. Uh, He's the three-time winner of the Best Potato Pancake Latkes Baby in the New York Latka Festival. And we love latkes. Mm -hmm. Mm -mm -mm. Uh, You've seen him on Beat Bobby Flay and Good Morning America. And you're going to hear from him shortly here on... Foodie and the Beast. Des Riley is managing principal and co-founder of SRG Concepts. Uh, in 2017, SRG created a rotisserie chicken joint, Peruvian chicken, right? right. Uh, that was good, fast, and cheap. My Three favorite words. Okay, I'm going to fix this for you. So Chicken and Whiskey is one of the hottest places on 14th Street. Wait. When you walk down 14th Street, you see a buzz going on out of a couple of places, and Chicken and Whiskey is one of them. Okay, you can continue with your introduction. You you, you killed – that shouldn't have been the lead. That should have been the the home run at the end. But anyways, we're going to talk to Des about how he became a mega millionaire and runs the Chicken and Whiskey world. Mm -hmm. Uh, And oyster lover Jasmine Norton is executive chef and owner of her new restaurant – Cheers for her, the Urban Oyster. She was on Foodie and the Beast many moons ago. Um, Her restaurant is the first black woman-owned oyster bar in America, which is a very big deal. And she's a very big deal. She's very cool. But she's also in to talk about something called MAP. There's this restaurant call that's going on in Baltimore, and she's going to give us a 411 on it because it sounds really interesting. But first, Mika and Ian are going to get us lubricated with some great wine. Right, we all need a drink. Come on. (laughs) Come on up to the mic. Guys, just talk a little bit about... um, I don't think we need to get into your romance, but let's talk about how you got into the wine thing as as lawyers. Absolutely. So um, while we were at UVA uh, for law school, obviously surrounded by some of the most wonderful vineyards and wineries in Virginia, mm-hmm. um, got to tasting around and I ended up starting working wine retail at Invino Veritas, uh, which is in Keswick. Mm-hmm. Um, and the owner, Erin Scala, became something of a mentor for both of us. Uh, she's been really wonderful and supportive. 
And um, during the pandemic, we just sort of had a bit of a light bulb moment, realized, you know, being cooped up doing what we were doing all day, wanted to get out of the house a little bit and started um, making the journey into restaurants. Um, Ian has a background in restaurants, um, but we both ended up getting into front of house, um, becoming sommeliers and beverage directors. But you both have worked at a lot of restaurants. I mean, Oyster Oyster and Masseria. So you, and, um, the I mean, Sunny's if you survive pizza. Nick, you can survive anything. I know, no kidding, right? <laughs> learned, learned a lot at Masseria. Right. Just got a lot of experience across the city, met some really cool folks, and that just helps build the wine program and knowing what's going on and, and getting to share and pass on that Virginia wine knowledge. Because since we fell in love with Virginia wine in 2016, mm-hmm. there's been a lot that's changed. It's gotten better every, every year. And now you're seeing it across the list at restaurants all over the city. Well, I think we've had a lot of Virginia wineries in. I think most recently we had Crimson, which just opened. And they have a lovely, uh, beautiful space and a great wine yeah, program. Phenomenal tasting room, phenomenal views from the winery. And their wines are some of the best. Pretty good, right? Right, right yeah, out the bat, they're doing great stuff yeah they're a winemaker dino right isn't that his name he's a real trip um so just quickly before we uh go to our first guest can you just tell us a little bit about the concept of irregardless sure so um we i know the irregardless name is a little bit controversial but Uh we did want to make it um a fun space uh we just want to provide really great food great hospitality um make sure people know they don't have to take themselves oh really seriously but um, they're going to get well, a little bit of... Well, you're on the right of, show, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they're going to get uh, a great experience, and um, we try to pull from a lot of different cuisines that our kitchen team's inspired by and that we're inspired by. So it's not... We broadly generalize ourselves as new American, but we try to give ourselves a little bit of freedom to test the waters on other stuff. Terrific. Right. Okay, you made a beautiful cocktail here. What is it? Absolutely. So this is, uh, I call it the Capri Fizz. Okay. Um, and this is my um, attempt to turn a Caprese salad into a cocktail. So it's going to okay. have a tomato-infused gin, mm-hmm. uh, and then there is a basil syrup in there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is going to, the cheese part is stimulated by uh, cream, a little bit of saline solution, and topped with soda water. Um, so mm. it's style of a Ramos gin fizz, uh, but with some fun, savory ingredients in there. Fabulous. All right. Well, we have some, but let's get some out to the rest of the studio. And uh... Chef Dima Martinuk. We're glad to have Chef with us. He's at the uh, Rudy Ukrainian restaurant. Um, but you may already know him. You might have seen him on Beat Bobby Flay or Good Morning America. He is the three-time winner of the best potato pancake in New York. And when you make a great potato pancake and you're the best in New York, I do make best. a really good potato pancake. She does. I just want to tell you. But we also had a great one in Palm Springs. I oh, yeah. Say oh, we him. did have a good one in Palm so Springs. So why don't you tell a little bit about how you got to be the world's greatest latke maker? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, originally, I'm from Ukraine. I came here to U.S. in 2009. Uh, I found my first job. I mean, first job was in a summer camp. It was Jewish summer camp. Mm-hmm. And then... Is there any other kind? No. <laughs> and then, Can we invent that? <laughs> uh, then, uh, December 2009, I found my first full-time job. It was a famous U- Ukrainian restaurant in New York City. It was Vaselka. Mm-hmm. I spent there 12 years. Uh, last seven years, I was an executive chef. Mm. And but were you cooking in Ukraine? No. No. So you came here. I got master's degree international economics relations. Okay. What is this about people who get law degrees and degrees in economics and right. say, the hell with that? Because the <laughs> economics of the restaurant world are really tough. Right. So maybe you need a little background. 
So what was it? Where did you get excited about cooking and cooking you your the cuisine from your country? Like, did you cook with your mother or anything like that? Or your uh, grandmother? No. Grandfather? I got my first experience in Kiev when I left my mother 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 home mm-hmm. and I start living in a student camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started cooking there. I remember my, my first rice when I put it in a small pot, the whole bag of rice, and it started coming out. <laughs> <laughs> Boiled over. It was my first experience. I didn't do even sunny side up, sunny side up eggs at home. It was my everything from scratch. Mm-hmm. But and uh, during the study, I started working in a bank. I spent there three and a half years, and uh, cooking was a hobby for me. I mm-hmm. never got plans to be to be in the kitchen, to be a chef. Uh, I, sp- I got crazy teacher in the university. He always keep, uh, keep saying, like, guys, you need to learn international law, international relations. You're going to be future diplomats for Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And now, after 15 more years, uh, finally st- I became a diplomat. Right, you're a culinary diplomat. Yeah, no, right. I'm a culinary diplomat. <laughs> I yeah. love that. So, well, so what brought you down to DC? Because there, I don't think there are any other Ukrainian or restaurants serving Ukrainian food. There's a, several Georgian restaurants and a lot of other uh, uh, Eastern European cuisines that are featured in some restaurants around DC, but not Ukrainian. Uh, when I started campaigning with my Ukrainian friend. Uh, Lopatenko, mm-hmm. we start campaigning about borscht to sign up for UNESCO. That borscht is an in, in, intangible uh, uh, national heritage of Ukrainian people mm-hmm. of Ukraine. Uh, Half my bloodstream uh, is borscht. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and I start making a lot of different pop-ups, dinners, uh, masterclass of borscht, mm. and uh, start creating new new connections. And one of them was. Uh, uh, embassy of Ukraine here in DC. Mm-hmm. They invite me uh, to cook the borscht with ambassadors and um, and Congress people. All right, mm-hmm. uh, can we? Because I don't want to eat up all his time with that. Because we have to get into your okay. special recipe for borscht and your special. Re- I want to talk about Ruda too. Okay, but also for for latkes because when you when you're declared the latke champion, <laughs> you must be doing something different than everybody else is doing. So will you reveal your recipes? It's easy recipe. It's very traditional. It's just shredded potato. You can choose any any size of uh, of the blood uh, of the blade. Mm-hmm. Uh, even could be like grind ground. Uh, just should be for like for two pot- for two Idaho potatoes should be one big onion and uh, and one egg. Mm. It's kind of the key is dry potatoes. Potatoes yeah. have to be dry. Get the water out. Right? Uh, not much. You, you can keep some water. Oh, Uh-oh, I, know. I Somebody's throwing down the gauntlet here. Yeah. <laughs> but let's talk about, so you, for people who aren't familiar with Ukrainian cuisine, like let's talk about the tenets of borscht. You brought in pierogies today. What are some of the um, recipes that we, or dishes we'll see on the menu at Ruda? Uh, of course, uh, l- let's let's start this way. Let's talk about our best sellers. Okay. Uh, first place is a borscht. Okay. Uh, second place is a vareniki. Now, do you serve the borscht with sour cream? Yes, oh, of course. Boy. That's a, a lot of. Dishes. Did you not see the vat of sour cream my, over there? Yeah. My my <laughs> countrymen. <laughs> we go. We like go through a lot of sour cream in our house. Right. Um. So and 
Okay, so go ahead. So is the borscht smooth or chunky? Chunky. Okay. Oh, yeah. You say that like that's... You're like, is there something wrong with you? Because no, some yeah, places do borscht I know, but that's like just, smooth. That's just no. beet juice. Okay. I, I did once, but it was uh, like fancy pop-up dinner. Mm-hmm. I did puree from the borscht, like cream soup. And I served with uh, sour cream ice cream. Oh, boy. Yummy. But okay. it's very unique. Usually it's like heavy chunky. Okay. Yeah. And th- so let's talk about the pierogies. Well, they're not pierogies. What do you... Varanake. Yeah, I can't say that, but... <laughs> but <laughs> after 12 years in New York, uh, I, I knew that uh, mostly uh, all the people know what's pierogies. But well, every culture has something like, you know... A dumpling. Uh, you I know, call dumpling. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's so crepla, what are yours, there's pierogies. So what is yours stuff with? Uh, it's Ukrainian varenike. We got in Ruta uh, five different flavors. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's start from the last one. It's a sweet uh, homemade farmer cheese, mm-hmm. cottage cheese. Mm-hmm. We use them as a dessert mm-hmm. and serve with sour cherry homemade compote. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have two traditional. It's a potato and onion mm-hmm. and sauerkraut. What do we have here? Uh, today we have potato and mm. onion, and we have a chicken. Oh, okay, great. will you be offended if I grab one and try it? Because that's my role on okay. the show. We have to take a quick break. This Don't is David forget. and Nikki oh, yeah. Nellis. We need some sour cream. Yes. Well, uh, I... and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec. <laughs> Thank you. You know, Nick, back in the day when I worked for Hex, the Hex Warehouse is over on uh, New York Avenue, and we hated being sent over there to do stuff because there was nowhere to eat for lunch. It was a wasteland. Well, not anymore. So the Ivy City area has exploded. And, you know, the very first restaurant over there was the Tavern at Ivy City Smokehouse. Now, this is a great neighborhood restaurant, but it's also a destination restaurant. First of all, they smoke all their seafood, and that is incredible. But it also is a huge kitchen that does amazing dishes, fresh seafood, great burgers, the whole deal. But the space is what you really need to check out. An amazing outdoor patio where you want to sit and have cocktails. They do live music there all the time and other live shows. And there is a great event space. So if you're looking for a place to hold a wedding or have a party, you definitely want to check out the Tavern at Ivy City Smokehouse. Well, it's uh, about 20 years too late, but now I have a good reason to go over to Ivy City and the Tavern at Ivy City Smokehouse. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis with Chef Dima Martinuk. And I just, uh, what is the name of this? Because it's not a pierogi. Whatever you said. It's so good. And I dipped it in sour cream. Half my body sour Okay, so cream, that's man. one of the most popular things. Ugh, yes. And so the borscht, good. obviously. What else, do we, what else speaks to Ukrainian cuisine that uh, people are eating at Ruda? In the third place, we have around five positions. Uh... It's a beef stroganoff. It's, mm-hmm. of course, oh potato pancakes, mm-hmm. vodkas. Mm-hmm. Sour cream's in everything, man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, stuffed cabbage, meat stuffed cabbage, meatless stuffed cabbage. Mm. Uh, we have banosh. Banosh, it's a Ukrainian polenta. Oh. We have, as well, vegetarian option with uh, mushroom sauce and uh, regular one. So in Ukraine, though, is there a lot of vegetarian offerings? Because I think of the country The breadbasket of the world. So. Right, but... Is uh, or are you doing you are you doing more vegetarian offerings to feed the American public, or is it is it the food that you serve in Ukraine? Uh, we love mushrooms, mm-hmm. and here we use mushroom as a vegetarian option. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to live in Ukraine fifteen years ago, right? And in this uh, culinary industry, it, like grow grow very fast, mm. and now it's on m- much much higher level than I used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Of course, we offering right now, but uh, as I remember, usually it's uh, bacon, salo, mm -hmm. you know, with salo. Sure, uh, the fat. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Pork, pork, mm -hmm. like pork fat, uh, and of course, uh, any pork meat. Mm -hmm. If you call meat, like I need to buy some meat or I need some meat, uh, usually we it's pork. everybody knows it means pork. Okay. And so um, I have to ask, because of what's going on in Ukraine, how does that affect sort of, how does that affect your culinary diplomacy? Um, unfortunately, because of war, uh, uh, I found a good way how to, how to survive and how to uh, create more, uh, more small pieces for Ukraine win. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm here as a culinary ambassador of Ukraine, mm -hmm. and uh, thanks war. Unfortunately, uh, a lot of U.S. people, other world people, knows what's Ukraine, and uh, my goal is uh, uh, introduce Ukraine in a good way mm -hmm. uh, using my culinary techniques and delicious Ukrainian cuisine. Excellent. I love that. Tell everybody where Ruta is yes. on the street. Uh, Ruta located in Capitol Hill mm -hmm. on the Eastern, Eastern Market on the 7th Street. Great. We're going. Right. We're I know. going. I can't wait. All okay. right. Thank you, Chef. That Thank was you great. So much. Thank you. All right, irregardless. Uh, uh, irregardless, that irregardless isn't a word. Uh, Mika and Ian, uh, what's mm -hmm. next up? Yes. So this is some of our Virginia wine that we pour. Mm -hmm. This is from Midland, a kind of smaller producer. Uh, two brothers, Tim and Ben Jordan, are the winemakers here and mm -hmm. doing some of the most exciting, fun stuff in Virginia. Like what? Uh, just really classic varietals that grow really well in Virginia. They're figuring out what those are. Mm -hmm. So this is Petite Monsang, this really obscure French grape. It grows in this like really tiny region in southwestern France and nowhere else. But winemakers in Virginia, and Ben Jordan was like one of the leading causes of this, figured out it can really grow well and make really fun, exciting wines that ben are kind Jordan, of- Ben Jordan, Ben Jordan. Where was Ben at? He was at Early Mountain. He was at Early Mountain, yeah. right. 12 okay. years mm -hmm. and kind of had so many side projects that he just is doing four or five different things right now. So is this a hard sell? Uh, not really. If someone is coming in looking for a Virginia wine, this is one of the ones we go to right away. Okay. And I think- a lot of people come in with an open mind or they already love Virginia wine. Mm -hmm. And this wine, I think, can really showcase Virginia as not just, oh, it's we're drinking it because it's local. We're drinking this because this is a really it's phenomenal wine. Are the wine. French pissed off at Ben Jordan and hunting him down now? <laughs> <laughs> he, no, he is uh, pretty, pretty well acclaimed and getting Virginia wine out there in the world and Absolutely. breaking boundaries. He is. This is great. Thank you so much. All right. Jess Riley, you got you ready to tell your story, man? Chicken and because whiskey. It's chicken and whiskey. <laughs> quote Nikki Nellis. <laughs> Take it from the top. How did all this happen? You look like the kind of guy that was out playing around a lot in high school. So how did you get in the <laughs> food know. biz? He's judging a book by his cover. You look yeah, like a yeah. partier. You look so like a party what animal. Happened? Uh, oh, okay. Well, um, well, I am. I guess there uh, <laughs> was point, one point in time, but for sure, I like to have a good time. So it's not surprising that. Uh, my partners and I, we try to create restaurant concepts that are super entertainment-driven. Mm -hmm. Really, at the end of the day, people are going out. They want to have fun, mm -hmm. right? Sure, they want great food. They want great drinks, which I brought here for you today. But mm -hmm. they really want to have a fun time. And so 
my business partners and I were kicking around an idea to do a some kind of chicken joint, and we knew we wanted a neighborhood bar. So let's call it a whiskey bar, a dive bar, but it was very sort of general. We needed a working title, and we just started saying the words chicken and whiskey. As, I were, as we were going through all of our permitting processes, we had to just have a name on this thing. But what happened with the chicken and whiskey name was something that I didn't expect. People right away reacted to it. In an overwhelmingly well, because it's fashion. what it is. I it, mean, it, well, your product. It. These people that come up with these, these, you know, fancy names or made up words and all that. You don't yeah. know what the hell they're talking about. So, you mean like irregardless? Where are you going, David? No, no, irregardless. <laughs> I, 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 I wait. They're lawyers. Be quiet. <laughs> Jeez. Hmm. Anyways, so the the um, the premise was chicken and whiskey, and people just immediately reacted. Wow, that's such a great name. I love chicken and I love whiskey. So we thought, well, we really got something here. But we didn't quite know what the concept was going to be originally. Mm-hmm. We thought we were going to do uh, Korean fried chicken. Mm. And then one of our investors said, no one's going to eat Korean fried chicken more than once a month. You can't do Korean fried chicken. So Okay, you haven't met my husband, but go ahead. We, so we pivoted to Pollo yes, Ola Brasa. Yes, we just met. And you know what I mean. <laughs> but we made, the, we made the pivot to mm-hmm. Pollo Ola Brasa. Mm-hmm. And that really was a defining moment. So I didn't know how to cook pollo la brasa. I barely knew how to spell it, but mm-hmm. I knew that it was delicious. I loved it, and people thought it was great. Mm-hmm. But the key part for us was when two things: when we decided to go to the Peruvian chicken route, and then we partnered with Enrique Lamarda, mm-hmm. who many people may know from Seven Reasons. Mm-hmm. Imperfecto, he's a Michelin starred chef, wonderful human being, fantastic, beautiful man with incredible talent, and he developed this crazy, yummy brine mm. for the chicken. And it's, you know, 12 different special herbs and spices. I can't really tell you what they are, but they're there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd probably violate my operating agreement if I did No, tell that, us but, and then kill us. Yeah, right. But uh, uh, we we went to chicken school. We rented uh, a space in Gaithersburg, mm-hmm. Virginia. And no. every Saturday, sorry, Gaithersburg, Maryland, excuse right. me, and every Saturday for five hours we cook chicken. Wow. In these ovens from Lima mm-hmm. that we imported um uh, locally from a, a, a guy who actually sells all the big Peruvian ovens, all the polyurella brasa joints around the DMV. Mm-hmm. We just started practicing. So we came up with a technique with this natural wood charcoal, the proper brine, proper temperature. And then, bam, five months later, we had we had, we had had it. We had it dialed in. Well, what but about what, your whiskeys? Wait, wait, wait. No, don't no, jump ahead wait. yet. Because I think what's interesting is that it's actually like sort of two separate programs. The whiskey's in the – he's never been, so he doesn't know. The yeah. whiskey is in the back. She goes and then she says, "I just went somewhere." So right. That's what happens. So, but you have a the chicken is almost fast casual. It is so we, right. We are, you have a yes. fast casual concept in yep. the front, party in the back. We're like it's a mullet. Almost, You're right. like a mullet. We're yes. a total mullet. Okay. Yeah. Took my joke. Okay. Damn you, Des. Okay. I didn't meet upstage the host. Forget <laughs> right. It won't happen again. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly right. So at first, it's sort of difficult to understand, but picture this: you got a 127 year old row, row house in mm-hmm. DC on 14th and S. It's 19 feet wide, long and narrow. We stuck a freezer door in the middle of it. We opened up our little fast casual chicken joint, and Mm -hmm. it's fast casual just like Nikki said. Uh You smell the food. You see the food. Uh You point to the food. You put it on a plate. You go eat it. You take it home with you. Super simple premise. But what's up with this refrigerator door in the back? So Mm -hmm. that that really became a total goof. Uh, My business partner, Chris Carr, and I, Chris does all the beverage programming. We're from New York City. We were living in New York City working as bartenders when places like PDT. I'm thinking of like Bathtub Gen. Like. Yeah. Well, all these speakeasies became really popular on the mm-hmm. Lower East Side, East Village, where I'm from, mm-hmm. um, uh, LES, all those places. I used to go to this guy's restaurant back in the day, Veselka on 2nd Avenue. Love it. But um, 
we thought, oh, let's just be a little tongue in cheek here, throw our refrigerator door on that on the on the bar, mm-hmm. and it'll just be a goof. It's, it was like a ten year old premise. That was sort of passe now in New York, but no one was doing it in D.C., so we did it. Because we're 10 joke. years behind everybody else. No, we're not 10 years behind. So it became a thing, guys. It became like this discovery piece, and we never expected it to be a thing. It just became something more. Well, I have a feeling, I'm just saying this because Mika was over there making notes that she's going to put whiskey and chicken in a blender and come up with a drink <laughs> right. like this one. So, so we can make a drink out of that. That's right, irregardless of the fact that it would taste like crap, but no. she's going to do it. Well, we do put whiskey in the barbecue <laughs> sauce for sure, which is pretty good. So how did you develop... Okay, so we understand how you developed your chicken program. So what now you got the catch with the door. Uh How did you develop the whiskey program to be, you know, on par? I mean, you are on 14th Street. Right. It is now a party street, but there is also. There are lots of whiskey bars. Well, not whiskey bars, but there's lots of good drinks. Yes. On 14th Street. So I have a partner who, his name is Chris Carr, and he is in charge of all the beverage programs for all of our restaurants. And Mm he is, you know, one of these fantastic mixologist type creative persons who knows and understands beverage programs at a really high level. We have 99 whiskeys, and they range from American to Japanese. Mm -hmm. They're really literally all over the world map. But he curated that list, and we also have some great local providers, like Catoctin Creek, for example, that would give us a a barrel. We buy a special barrel of booze from these guys, and we incorporate it into our drinks. But the, um, the thought and the energy and the sophistication behind the beverage program is really, really intense if you look at it. Mm-hmm. However, we present ourselves in a super simplistic way. Casual. Oh, yeah, because we want people to roll in there in their flip-flops and their baseball hat and feel good. It, it's not filled with any kind of pretense. Even mm-hmm. though um, you see this wall of whiskey, we've got a tremendous cocktail program with all these really fun drinks that are that are built built to make fast and get out to our, our bar guests well, cause immediately. Well, because that bar... I mean, it's a hopping bar. It's you know busy. what I mean? It You're comes. not like yeah. just sitting around being like, no, oh, talking yeah. to the bartender. Like, it's a busy space. And there's a reason for that because my other partner, Chuck Koch, who is was well-known in D.C. for many, many years as He's a, a music uh, talented spinning. DJ. Mm-hmm. So Chuck curates the music program. Right. Mm-hmm. So he brings that vibe, that fun, that music element, which, again, goes back to what we were talking about earlier. The entertainment factor of our restaurants is really something we Look push. He's a good forward. spokesperson for okay, his We're going to take a quick model. break. When we come back, I really want to get into Doi Moy for a minute because yeah. Mark Keller oh, was, was a very, good friend, of of a, a very yeah. good friend of ours. I'd love to talk about that. Um, so we want to talk about sort of the expansion of your restaurant business. Yeah. David and Nikki Nellis, Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec. All right. We're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis talking to Des Riley of SRG what the SRG group, but it's really SRG chicken and whiskey. Concepts. Yeah, it's concept. SRG whiskey, Doi Moy, the Walrus Oyster and Alehouse. Well, now let's get to Doi Moy. We were, we were, we met Mark Culler. In fact, we right when we got married, practically, we you know proof opened. Mark Culler, yeah. who was an attorney, yep. had a big settlement. Decided to go into the restaurant business, and he did it with Panache. We had our booth. At proof. We did. We loved and it. he opened Doi Moy. It was great. Now you guys have Doi Moy. We do. What up there? So this was an incredible process for me personally. Uh, I didn't know Mark Culler, but I knew all about him. You just Google his name and you can see just he was an a incredible fine amount of, you know, he was really a, uh, a forward thinking restaurateur in D.C. He was. And his legal background made his sort of whole package quite he was also like six foot ten yeah, he was a pituitary oh, he was, like, yeah. he was he a was like case big, like, he uh, was. and he did not and i'm five feet tall yeah so when we would talk he would not look down yeah. because it hurt his neck yeah. so he would look this way and i would be like 
Hi, Mark. The, the hardest thing How are was you? he always liked to hug hello. I always got a nipple right in the <laughs> eye. You know. Anyway, we. I mean, listen, but Doi Moy was his, you know, last opening, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and Two Birds downstairs. I mean, it was a, mm-hmm. a force on 14th Street when it opened with Hyder Karoom and Adam Birnbach. Mm-hmm. So Adam. how did you guys take it over? I know it was other things before you took it over, but how did you take it over and make it yours? Yeah, so um, great question. It was across the street from Chicken and Whiskey. Right. And I didn't know it was a restaurant. I thought it was a furniture store because it was empty all the time. Doing means furniture in uh, something. Well, you also have Little Leaf next it's, door to it. Right, so. and, so I, and I say that with all seriousness. And then um, we were introduced to Jason Culler. Sure who was uh, the, the Mark's owner. Mark's brother, right. Yeah. Mark's brother, yeah. thank you, and the owner. And and really, um, not a restaurateur by trade, nor did he want to be. He but was a comedian. He a was comedian. a stand-up comedian. And a lawyer. And a lawyer as well. <laughs> and a liar. And and, oh, yeah. and he, um, we we cobbled together a meeting with him, uh, and we we just thought this was such a great location. We love 14th Street in D.C. Mm-hmm. It's such a hotbed for us in terms of our chicken and whiskey model. So we thought, we have such a great location. We should probably do something here. So it was a very sensitive, respectful process. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I had several lengthy interviews with Jason Culler. Mm-hmm. And we talked for hours and hours, and we ate and drank. And I wanted to know everything about Mark. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know about the relationship. I wanted to know why this man was so revered in D.C. I'm not from D.C. I'm from New York City. So mm-hmm. I was really really sensitive to not stepping on the family toes mm-hmm. and the history because it's to start a restaurant in New York City or D.C. or any town is such a, a mammoth lift. I was just talking to Jasmine about this mm-hmm. that um, I wanted to know everything. So that process became, well, let's let's do something here together. Mm-hmm. Jason wanted to get out of the business yes. and he, we wanted to get in. So we said, let's strike a, a deal. So we came up with a deal and premise what would work financially. Mm-hmm. Right. And then from there, he let me go away. But what and, are you doing with the place? So the here's what, this is what happens next. From there, I, I have a creative writing background. I was a frustrated screenwriter and actor for many, many years in mm-hmm. L.A. and New York City. And that's how I ended up in the restaurant biz because mm-hmm. I couldn't write and I couldn't act, apparently. Mm-hmm. But here I am. Nonetheless, um, I think you're faking it pretty good right now. <laughs> I, I, cre- I created a mini film, a short film, a minute and 20 second short film that was going to be the new Doymoy vision. And I showed it to Jason and he cried and loved it and said, let's do this. And we were off to the races. Okay, well, so we it? only have a minute. So yeah. tell us what the new Doimoy concept is. So the new, it's Vietnamese. Vietnamese-inspired street foods. Right. That's it. We, okay. we narrowed the focus. It used to be Pan-Asian, but we yes. narrowed the focus, made it super specific to Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And we kept one or two th- or three dishes on the menu from the previous chef, just as, as a nod to the neighborhood. But we infused uh, a color, Michelle Bobet, uh, incredible interior designer came mm-hmm. in, infused color everywhere where mm-hmm. there was white. Yeah, the was place white. which has completely white, mm-hmm. which interestingly enough in the Asian culture means death or birth. But in this case, the, that restaurant was. I was always there. nauseous when I was in there. So, yeah. Could be. White. So we turned it that place on its head. We gutted it, kept the kitchen uh, intact, but mm-hmm. just pumped tons of color on the walls in the ceiling, and then we created this little den of iniquity. This is the Catholic schoolboy downstairs. Okay. Downstairs yeah. called Doimoy Downstairs, which was our little sort of sorted um, uh, nightclub, sexy nightclub downstairs that really has caught fire as well. Oh, good. I love that. Can you tell everybody where they can find you, please, online and on Instagram? Sure. Uh, SRGConcepts.com, but ChickenAndWhiskey.com and DoimoyDC.com. You'll you'll find us online. And then please follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Just type in the the names of our restaurants in the search title and you will find where we are. Well done. Thank you. Thank you so much. Mika. 
Ian. And Ian, come on back. So have you whipped up some chicken and whiskey? Okay, all right. <laughs> I have not yet, but all this right, is but we're going to do another wine. So as we're putting <laughs> your uh, wine list together, your cocktail list together, and, and as your menu has shifted and changed, how do you go about feeding the community? Because you're on 8th Street Northeast. You know, it's such an eclectic community, and you have great restaurants there and a great community. How do you go about feeding the people? How do you go about meeting people where they are? Well, that was actually one of the um, impetuses behind the transition um, mm-hmm. to our new menu. Um, we wanted to be an approachable spot where people could either come in for snacks at the bar. If they just wanted to grab, like, you know, some mains, they could do that. Or if they wanted to have um, a more seated dining experience, then we had lots of different offerings that we could sort of course out for them and give mm-hmm. them that offering as well. So mm-hmm. we try to offer multiple different experiences to as you say, meet people where they want to be for the evening and encourage them to come back for any that. sort of different experience. I want to know what kind of law you were going to practice. What does that have to do with this interview? I'm just curious. Uh-huh. I was previously an immigration attorney. And and I did M&A work. Mm. Corporate. So, yeah, corporate law. <laughs> oh, well, okay, let's talk let's about talk the wine. The wine is more interesting. Let's talk yeah, about it. Way more interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this is a wine that's near and dear to our hearts. Um, this actually comes from the Jura region of France. Mm. Ian and I were traveling to Chateau Chalon in 2018, mm-hmm. uh, and we were heading up the mountain and uh, happened across this adorable little tasting room for Domaine Grand. Uh, and we tried some of their wine. Um, they were so friendly and so welcoming, even though I don't speak two words of French. Um, <laughs> and uh, we just really remembered it. And when we started to look at opening, one of the beautiful things about D.C. is that you can directly import as a restaurant. You don't always have to go through a distributor. Mm-hmm. So um, this was kind of the project that we had in mind for bringing um wine from France to Well, the US. forgive me if I missed it. Is it the other wines that are not from Virginia? Are they all French wines? No, they are no, not. It's, all over, it's uh, all over the world, but we just oh, happen to have a soft spot we're for tell France. You about Yonkara when the show's <laughs> <in>. <laughs> okay. um, so we went back out there before Irregardless opened last year, and we sat down with Natalie and Emmanuel and went through their entire tasting. They brought us back into the barrel room and everything, um, and we picked out some wines that we thought would be a good fit. And ended up bringing uh, several uh, dif- different bottlings across, but um, this one is a trousseau, so it's a little bit of a lighter, more high acidity red. Um, it definitely packs a punch uh, in terms of like it looks really light, but it's still no, about thirteen no, no. five in alcohol. Uh, so it's got There's a nice some content juiciness. in there, without yeah. a doubt. Um, I think it's got a little nice earthiness to it as well, and um, we just think it's a really beautiful expression of the terroir of, of Jura and a nice expression of okay. Domaine Grand. Great. Thank All you right. so much. Right, we'll be back with you guys in a sec. Now, stepping up to the plate is Jasmine. Hi, Jasmine. Hi, Norton. Jasmine. Hello, Jasmine, hello. Jasmine was on the show with us during, during the pandemic. During the pandemic, so we saw her on but the I screen. But I mean, And the Urban Oyster was a dream at that not a dream it was in process at that point right Right. it was a dream that i thought i was losing i think when we last spoke right exactly (laughs) so catch us up absolutely um so we're um we've been in business almost seven years february will make seven years we started mobile um where we are now we finally felt safe enough to to pursue again a brick and mortar Mm -hmm. Uh, so we're going to be opening in the hamden community we and, love Hamden. Yeah, so we'll be right on the avenue where all mm-hmm. the happenings are. Um, and because of all of the pivoting, pivoting that we had to do, I wanted to the business to pivot with us as well as far mm-hmm. as the look, 
as far as the feel, the experience, all of that stuff. So, so let's catch people up. What yeah. is the business? Let's talk about the business model and, and what you're doing at Brick and Mortar for. So the Brick and Mortar is, originally we were fast casual very much like Des's, you know, mm-hmm. chicken and whiskey. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this time, again, we look at it as a graduation. We've been, you know, kind of in like this holding pattern for the three well, years. You were in farmer's we, markets originally. Exactly. Right? We started yeah. really we started mobile. Grassroots, yeah. right. Started farmers markets, festivals, mm-hmm. all those sort of uh, platforms. And so we're going full service restaurant. Well, we we'll seat fifty. We have a chef's counter. Uh, we'll do table side shucking. You know, finishing touches and nuances. Something like fine dining, but we are not fine. You know, we're not trailing down that road. But we just want it to. Well, be it's special. too hard on, in Hamden. Right. I mean. I think that would be too hard to do. Exactly. Right? Like you have, mm-hmm. again, it's a neighborhood. Right. So you can't, I mean, not like people don't come in from, right. like we go there, like, but you've got to meet people where they exactly. are. Right? Exactly. And the fact about the, you know, the, the neighborhood and, you know, it's just, it's not that kind of neighborhood, but we do want it to be special. We want it to be different. You know, we're graduating, you know, mm-hmm. and we look at it like we're going from high school to college. And so we're maturing a little bit and we just want to have some of those maturity. Well, let's talk components. about your oysters. Are they Absolutely. all? Why, yeah. What? Mm-hmm. Where are they all Chesapeake, your, Rappahannock? But, but where did your love from oysters come from? Like, Eating them. I, mean, I know, but they're yeah, yummy. But why are you like, I want to do an oyster thing? Like where to come from? It came from two places. So one was, you know, people in the in the African-American culture, we we. We typically, I won't. I say we as the culture, because I grew up eating oysters since I was seven. Okay. Um, but people in the African American culture, they don't particularly care for oysters. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have so much history in, you know, bringing them to the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wanted to be the person to reintroduce them and kind of, like you said, meet people where they are. As so when far you say as, the culture doesn't care for oysters, oysters appear in, like when I think of uh, Black Southern food, mm-hmm. it does appear in dishes. But not right. like in, shucked in, oysters. In, right. Am right. I wrong? Right, and, and that's the reservation. Right. They're, they're raw. Yeah. Right. You know, they look slimy. They taste yeah. like eyeballs. <laughs> I think they're delicious. Very good yeah. eyeballs. Right. Very <laughs> flavorful, briny eyeballs. So, so, so who? What are you carrying? How do you go about curating your oysters? Absolutely. Um, we try to stay as local as possible. Now, when we do open the brick and mortar later this fall, mm-hmm. uh, we will have some that come from other regions. You know. Um, but right now, you know, we like to co- contribute to the, the local ecosystem. I mean, will you do PEIs and those kinds of things? Yeah, we have a, we'll have a few of those. Uh, we'll have some that come from Massachusetts, you know, the whole mm-hmm. nine, well fleets, um, all that kind of stuff. Technically speaking, I mean, there's nothing better than an oyster and slurping it right I from agree. the shell. Mm-hmm. There's nothing worse than slurping it and getting sand. It happens to be I so, that too. <laughs> wait, we're recording the show on a Saturday. Today is August 5th. It is National Oyster Day, yes, but yes. Tomor- tomorrow Today, oysters is still are National Oyster. Their shells. Like, no. <laughs> National Oyster Week. But, right. but, I mean, what is the technique for cleaning the oysters so that when I, when I take my slurp, it's clean as a whistle? Absolutely. So, I mean, one of the things you should first start with is spraying them off. So if you get a bush of wind, you need to be hosing them down, spraying mm-hmm. them off, letting them soak. Don't they, like, um, the, they like they tumble them? Tumble them, yeah, yes. Yeah, that's usually in the farm-raising process. Okay. Um, and Des, I know you probably know a lot about this, but in the farm-raising process, they get a little more of that tumbling experience. But Did we create a partnership between Des and Jasmine? I feel yeah, like Des there's and a little, our best friends. Like there's a little... <laughs> There's some synergy. There's some yeah, synergy absolutely. happening here. I love that. As okay. long as we get our cut, we don't care. 
We have a whole revenue stream uh, from the partnerships right. that happen that's on right. Foodie and the Beast. Yeah, but a lot of the tumbling really comes from them trying to incorporate the flavor, not so much the cleanliness of it. I mean, okay. it's so how do they clean them then? It's I mean, naturally clean if you're going with farm raised, just because most times they are raised above the water and not, not on sand, the ground, yeah. right? Mm. And then going into the opening piece, right? Um, it's very important to basically once you kind of crack not it from to get the hinge, chips and exactly, you want to be. You know, releasing it from that abductor muscle, you know, as mm-hmm. smooth and as crisp as possible. I have to, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but we have Absolutely. to take a quick break. This Absolutely. Is, and then we'll come back. This is David <laughs> and Nikki Nellis, Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast talking to Jasmine Norton from the Urban Oyster, and we're talking about cleaning oysters so that, you know, and you say they, they cut, what's the name of the muscle that they have the, to cut? The abductor muscle. Does that hurt? <laughs> what's that? Does it hurt them? <laughs> I never asked. Never heard one scream. <laughs> so once you cut that, and uh, in other words, you have to have a skilled shucker. To... Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, honestly, we teach everyone on our team how to shuck oysters, just because I think it's important that people know. And even when we do like catering events and things like that, we don't just show up, you know, and put the oysters on ice. We actually do a live activation because we want people to understand that that There's you know that process. labor of love. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry that that labor of love. Law. Labor of law. Right, huh? <laughs> Damn lawyers. <laughs> okay. They paid me to say that. <laughs> so I want to talk about, so you're going to be opening soon. What's our ETA? Uh, so we're looking at early October. Yeah, it's been three years, over three years at this point. <laughs> Very exciting for you. Okay, Thank so can you. we talk about the mentorship, advocacy, purpose, and power of women? Absolutely. Can we talk about MAP and this restaurant crawl? What is it? How would you get involved with it? in Baltimore. Let's hear more. Absolutely. So MEP was started by actually a film producer named Joanna James. She did this documentary called A Fine Line uh, that focused on women in the industry, in the food industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the focus was on her mom, um, who her name is Val mm-hmm. James. And Al, Val uh, owns a restaurant in Connecticut. And it just shows their life and, like, you know, what it is to be a woman in the industry and the, the disparities, the, you know, the inequalities and all of that stuff. And so from that film stemmed, you know, or grew this uh, the MAP uh, mentorship program. And so what happened was a lot of women resonated with that film, right? Mm-hmm. You know, being, you know, mistreated or sexual harassment, you know, uh, the inequality of being executive chefs and all that stuff. And so Joanna Ford met because she wanted to provide women with the things that they were missing, like mm-hmm. how to run a business, you know, um, access mentorship, to, access, access to, to capital, money. I all mean, those sorts of things. Yes. Right? I mean, I mentored with Barbara Lynch. Did you really? Because of because of Matt, I was able to do a stage with her with all seven of her restaurants in Boston. She's amazing. Days. Absolutely. Good for you. She's a rock star. Yeah, she's a total rock star. <laughs> so these are the kind of opportunities that you get with Matt. And so they're doing a 10-city tour. They just had their annual uh, conference back in May in Miami, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to get um, a few partnerships and all those sorts of things in that, in that space. Uh, but they're doing a 10-city tour and visiting all of the – uh, cities where a lot of their members. Well, I think what's really interesting about it, I mean, listen, there's quite a few, like La Dame, Women Chefs and Restaurateurs. There's a lot of really good women groups out there. James Beard has Absolutely. a tremendous boot camp for women as well. But all of it is speaking the same language. It's all about Absolutely. women pulling other women up. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And it's so important because 
the access to financing is one of the hardest things for women in the industry. Absolutely. Um, especially women of color. I mean, Indeed. and men of color as well. But Indeed. I mean, you know, for women in general, getting access is really difficult. So being able to talk to women who have already done it and them opening up those doors Absolutely. is just incredible. Oh, and using their contacts too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Networks, so. Absolutely. I mean, it's all about the allyship, right? And um, and that's that's what Matt offers. That's what they bring. You know, they put us in, in spaces and places that sometimes we may not have ever imagined mm -hmm. being in. Um, and so I'm honored, you know, as an ambassador for Matt, but also this food crawl I'm excited about because... So let's get the 411 on it. It's so many different facets of the industry, you know. Uh, we have Our Time Kitchen, which is actually an incubator owned by two women or a commissary mm -hmm. uh, for people who may not be able to afford, you know, you know, their own spaces and things like that. But it allows them to still be able to operate their businesses and do their work, um, you know, at a, a more affordable, less overhead price. Actually, we work out of there while we're waiting for construction to finish. So mm. it's been a blessing for us as well. Um, and then we have uh, a, a part of the food crawl as well, uh, crushed by Meg, which she was voted like best pastry chef by right. Carla Hall uh, in the Southern Hospitality magazine. And then the last stop will be with us on August 13th from 4 to 6 um, at the Christopher Schaefer Clothier uh, location, which is probably weird that we're having it at a tailor shop, but... <laughs> It's the coolest, coolest tailor shop you'll ever, ever come across. But um, that synergy came from him and I going through the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Business Program, and he gave us his space for free because he wanted to support what we're doing. Just don't so. slurp any needles with you. Okay, so how can people get involved? How can people support? How can people participate? Absolutely. So there's an event bright for the Food Crawl in Baltimore with mm -hmm. MAP. Um there's a link on our web on our Instagram. If you go at the Urban Oyster uh, on Instagram, you'll be able to go to the link and look at all of the different ticket options. There's also a bundle where you can go to and attend and support all three uh, food crawls. Oh, I love that. Right. Well, listen, you. before you go, we just want to say because when we first talked to you, you were in the trenches trying to pull this whole thing together. So congratulations. Thank so you. exciting. Thank you yeah. so congratulations. much. I hope you guys can come make it over. Are you we'll, be we'll be there. <laughs> we'll be first in line. Absolutely. I'll have my sour cream and one more. <laughs> I'll have some for you. Don't All right. Okay. <laughs> Let's go back and talk some more wine. Thank you. So, no, we're not talking we're not wine talking, anymore. Oh, now no, we're, we're talking, talking cocktails. Cocktails. So let me ask you a question. With your dedication yeah, to wine as a part of the menu, um, you keep giving it to him, and they keep giving you more. No, okay, um, okay, all right. Listen, I'm just trying to get you know. Why know, put together a crazy cocktail menu? Like, was it necessary? Did you feel that it was important to make it as a part of your restaurant? Yeah, well, DC loves cocktails, so mm -hmm. we knew we wanted to to have some great options on the menu for people, and we also personally love cocktails. Um, it's been a huge part of Ooh. my experience in the restaurant industry. Um, I have done you know cocktail lists for um, several different places around the city and mm -hmm. it's just something I really love experimenting with um, and coming up with new flavors so this is actually going to be almost like dessert a little on the sweeter side something um, that I pitched to a couple places and they told me I was crazy so what yeah, do you do when people chewy? say it is a uh, boozy boba. boba yes so we infused the boba oh with uh, vodka uh, and then we put a cocktail on top of it Okay. Uh, so this is going to be um, a gin-based cocktail, but it's got a little cucumber uh, and mint going on in it's there. very um, refreshing. Yes, very summery. It's great. And we top it with um, a melon hard seltzer from Drunk Fruit, 
They are a really fantastic uh, company. Um, we actually connected with them because the president of the UVA Alumni Association in D.C. is the director of business operations for Drunk Fruit as oh well. My God, it's so, all in the family. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, They're they a really wonderful Asian-owned company, and um, it was something that I just really felt strongly about since this concept is near and dear to my heart as well. So. Uh, it's a little out there, but we think it's really fun, and we have it, you know, for delivery as well as at the restaurant. Terrific! That's amazing. Since she right. graduated from UVA Law, maybe we'll have her join. Yes, she can. She's always welcome. <laughs> the refugee from yeah, law. she'll just take money out of your pockets. <laughs> um, okay, so let's give people like a roundup quickly on Irregardless. We are at 502 8th Street Northeast. Mm-hmm. Uh, great nightlife area. A lot of food, a lot of good drinks, but mm-hmm. you come for us for really fun cocktails, seasonal uh, seasonal food menu as well, and always those Virginia wines and our special direct imported wines from the Jura and other places. You can follow us at DC on Instagram, mm-hmm. and we just love to show off unique different things like this boozy boba. Like all of our cocktails are a little crazy, always have fun, punny names and uh Come check us out. Great. We can't wait to. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. All right. All right you do so your wrap-up, and then I'll do mine. I want Dima to know this isn't because he's here, because every week I ask you guys to stop and think about the invasion of Ukraine mm-hmm. by the Russians. Uh, fortunately, the Ukrainians are kicking ass and taking names, and that's great. But there's a lot of suffering there, and um, you know it's very easy to, with everything else going on and Trump and all that stuff, it's easy to forget what's going on there. But um, there are refugees in Ukraine and outside of Ukraine, millions of them, people who've lost their homes and family members. They all need help, um, whether it's through the Red Cross or Jose's World Central Kitchen or however you want to help and however much you can give, just give something because one less latte uh, won't hurt us and it'll help somebody over there. Uh, And we want to thank all of our guests for joining us here today. Everything you heard in here, you can find on the list, areyouwanna.com. And, of course, follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S, Instagram, Facebook, Threads, X, Twitter, whatever it's called, uh, LinkedIn. (laughs) And uh, don't forget, Industry Night, the deep dive on what's going on in the hospitality industry is now on YouTube and available on all podcast platforms. Thank you, to again, to all of our guests in studio. It's always so much fun. Um, Be safe out there. Enjoy National Oyster Week. And uh, have a delicious week.